Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. Hey, thanks for joining in today. My nieces are the sweetest and craziest bunch of girls. Well, they're not girls anymore. They're grown ladies. There's three of them, Amanda, Ashley, and Alyssa. A couple of years ago, the oldest one, Amanda, she was already married. Ashley, the second born, was engaged. And so the oldest one decided to help her baby sister, Allie, find a guy. So she secretly signed her up for FarmersOnly.com. This is not an advertisement. It's not a plug for them. I'm dying laughing just thinking about it. And it wasn't long before Allie started getting random emails from these dudes who were telling her how much they loved tractors, barbecue, and their trucks. And it didn't take long to figure out what was going on. And it was hysterical. And as you can imagine, this has gotten a lot of mileage in our conversations. Well, to say the least, the way we find our life partner has changed dramatically through the centuries. Online dating didn't exist in Mesopotamia, so we have to wrap our heads around a different culture and a different way of doing things. In Genesis 24, which is where we'll stay focused for this podcast, Abraham and Isaac were living in the land of their enemies, the Canaanites, even though it was the land God had promised to give them eventually. So Abraham knew he needed to stay put. But he also knew it was time to take care of some very important, unfinished business of selecting a bride for his now 40-year-old son, Isaac. Now, if many nations were to come from his bloodline, then he was going to need some grandsons. So the search for Isaac's bride occurs sometime after his mother, Sarah, died approximately three years earlier. Now, Abraham will not die for another 35 years, but we know he is pretty old according to verse number one. For Abraham, only one person can be trusted enough to do the job, and that was his servant. Now, let me pause here to explain something. The word servant just puts us off, but the Bible does not condone treating people like possessions. In that ancient culture, servanthood was completely different. Now, we're not talking about an invading nation coming in and making the residents of the land slaves, that's something entirely different. But in the culture in which Abraham lived, being a servant was pretty much voluntary. You would agree to work for someone, and you would essentially become a part of his family. You were not treated as a second-class citizen. Another common practice was that people sold themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt. You could work for an agreed period of time to pay off a financial debt. So please don't equate servanthood or slavery in the Bible with the Civil War type of slavery that is embedded in our minds. One was forced, one was not. So Abraham's servant, his right-hand man, takes an oath to obey Abraham's instructions to the letter. And he sets out on Mission Impossible to find a wife for Isaac, someone who is not an idol worshiper, but rather someone who worshiped the one true God. So he takes the time necessary to know exactly what Abraham wanted, how he wanted it done, and why. And in verse 5, he asks Abraham 
So let's say I find the perfect match for Isaac, but she doesn't want to leave her family, or she's just not interested. And Abraham says, if that's the case, then you don't have to honor our agreement. You're free from your promise. In other words, he carefully listens to Abraham about the task and gets all the details. And the reason I bring that up is because we live in a culture where cell phones, social media, and other addictive technologies are essentially eroding the fine art of listening. Now, I don't mean hearing, not simply smiling and nodding while someone's mouth is moving, not merely staying quiet until it's your turn to chime in, because we're all good at that game. But listening allows us to see deeper into someone's heart. And only then can you offer the help and hope that they're seeking. So Abraham's servant begins his 20-day journey. And upon his arrival in the city of Nahor, he went first to the well, which was a pretty smart move, because that's where all the young women went to draw water. His first thought is to pray for guidance. You see that in verses 12 through 14. And he is saying, if I ever needed God's help, I need it now. He has an attitude of total dependence, total reliance upon what God can do in this moment of need. So his prayer is this, let the young lady that I ask, could I please have a drink of water? Let her response be, absolutely, and I'll get water for your camels too. So in essence, he prays that God will give him a sign to confirm that he has found the right young woman for Isaac. He wants to know which lady he should approach based on her generosity and kindness. And before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out walking to the well with her empty jar on her shoulder. That's in verse 15. Now, if that's not a quick answer to prayer, I don't know what is. Now, this lady meets all the requirements that Abraham made. Number one, that she was female. Number two, that she not be a Canaanite, not an idol worshiper. And number three, that she'd be willing to leave her family to marry Isaac, although we're not to that point yet in the story. But Abraham's servant had a requirement as well, that she would be gracious, generous, and kind, a woman of character. And the fact that she was good-looking, well, that was just an added bonus. So sure enough, he asks for a drink of water, and she is more than happy to do that, and she offers to water his camels as well. She is exactly what he just prayed for. And in verse number 21, we read that he sat there and just stared at her, wondering if God had prospered his journey or not. And our first response is, dude, this is exactly what you prayed for, and she's good-looking. I mean, how much more proof do you need that God is in this? But what does he do? He just sits there. He looks at her and doesn't say a word. But why? He didn't say anything so he could hear the Lord speak. If he would have acted on first impulse, there would have been no opportunity for the Lord to speak to his heart because his mind would have already been made up. And I wonder... How many times have we not heard the Lord speak? Because our minds were already made up. The servant waits for the events to unfold. He asks who she is, 
and where she comes from. She gives him all the important details and extends an invitation for him to spend the night with her family. This is probably the first instance of Mikasa, Sukasa, only it was said in Hebrew. And in the end, he is thoroughly convinced that she is the one, and he praises and thanks God. Now, I want to circle back to her attitude. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too. Now, notice what the verse says, verse 19, until they have finished drinking. And you might think, yeah, big deal. I would have given the man a drink, too, and I, and I probably would have given his camels some water, too. But for you, it would be a matter of simply turning on the faucet. But she had to draw her water out of a well. So I did a quick Google search to find out how much water a thirsty camel will drink. And what I discovered is that a thirsty camel will drink more than 30 gallons of water in less than 15 minutes. That's about 114 liters for our European friends who are listening. Now, don't miss this. Verse 10 tells us that he had 10 camels. 10 camels! Rebecca had just committed herself to a long and arduous task for a perfect stranger. Look at verse 19 again. She's not just giving water to a bunch of thirsty camels, but she's going to continue giving them water until they were done drinking. Wow, that's far more than he had asked of her. Now, some of us might have said hello to the man. A few of us might have offered him a drink of water. Even fewer of us would have told him he could borrow our bucket to get some water for his camels if he wanted to. But how many of us would have committed ourselves to do what she did? I would guess not many. Why? Well, it's usually not our goal to do the most that we possibly can and then get nothing for it. We have trained ourselves to do the least that's expected of us and get the maximum benefit possible. Years ago, there was a product that was launched called Jogging in a Jug. Again, this is not an advertisement for it, but apparently it had all the supplements you needed to boost your metabolism so that you didn't have to do all the strenuous effort. But Rebecca was willing to go above and beyond what was expected. I have seen people get mad at their fellow employees because they do more than what's required. And the attitude is, well, who does she think she is coming in here and working so hard, trying to make me look bad? She just wants a pay raise. And had there been a crowd there at the well, I can almost guarantee that she would have been criticized. When you go above and beyond, people are going to criticize you. But go above and beyond anyway, because that's what the Lord wants you to do. You know, during this pandemic, I have seen a subtle shift from a me-first mentality to a me-only mentality. We look out for our own self-preservation, and those around you are doing the same thing. And don't get me wrong, it's good and it's proper to be cautious. But remember this, everywhere you go, you're showing somebody Jesus. Is the Jesus you're showing sloppy, lazy, just doing enough to get by? 
Or is the Jesus you're showing one who is willing to give his best to meet other people's needs however you can? Remember this, someone somewhere is depending on you to do what God has called you to do. There's always someone waiting on the other side of your obedience. You may not think your behavior at your job is that big of a deal, but God has put you there because that's where he needs you to be a light in pointing others to Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus never said anything about just having a heart that wanted to do something right. We have to do what's right regardless. What happens when a husband plans to do something special for their anniversary, but then he never does? What does he do? Well, he justifies it in his mind, and he says, well, that's okay. She knows my heart. Um, that doesn't work with her, and it doesn't work with God either. I've also seen marriages fall apart because one of them will sit around waiting for the other spouse to do something extra for them. And the attitude is, well, that's not my job, it's yours. I shouldn't have to do this. What was Rebecca's attitude? I'll draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. It wasn't her job to give water to a stranger's camels either. And the pushback we have on this comes from the fact that we usually live our lives with a measuring stick in our hands. He gave me a gift, so I'll give him one. They forgot my birthday, I'll forget theirs. She didn't help me when I was going through a rough time, so I'm not going to help her. He loaned me $5, so I'll loan him 5 bucks. See what I mean? If we are living a life that is always measuring, we're missing what God has told us to do. If you only do exactly what you're supposed to do, and nothing more, you're not demonstrating the love of Jesus. Now, if Jesus had only done the absolute minimum, he would have never died on the cross. Maybe just heal a handful of people and train a few disciples. But he didn't. He went above and beyond. He didn't have to die for our sin, but that was the only way for us to be reconciled to the Father. Back to Rebecca. Every evening, she went down to the well and did the very same thing. She drew water out of the well and brought it back to her family. How boring, right? But oh, how important. What a great attitude. She was willing to do something, willing to go out of her way to be a blessing to someone she really didn't even know. I'm reminded of the story about a house builder who had worked for the same company for 40 years, and he was ready to retire. But the boss asked him to build just one more home. He reluctantly agreed to it because it was his boss that asked. But it was a big project, and honestly, his heart just wasn't in it. He used secondhand materials. He didn't measure everything exactly right. The corners weren't square and not all of the walls were plumb. He didn't do his best because it just wasn't important to him anymore. When he finally finished the house, he handed the keys to the boss, and the boss looked at him and he said, you know, Bob, I want to thank you for your 40 years of dedicated service to me and this company. Your craftsmanship is second to none. 
And the best way I could think of to say thank you was to have a house built for your retirement. And he handed the keys back to Bob. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. Right? Back to Rebecca. When the camels had finished drinking, Abraham's servant whips out some serious bling, a golden nose ring and two gold bracelets of the highest quality. He wants to pay her for her trouble. Later that day, he gives her even more gold and some silver jewelry and clothing. And he gives some expensive gifts to her mother and to her brother as well. Now, most of us, if we could have seen or known what she was going to get beforehand, sure, we would have offered to pour the water for the guy's camels too. But then we would be doing it with a completely different attitude and purpose, right? So when God opens the door for you to make a difference, go ahead and make the difference, even if it seems like a disruption to your daily routine. Go above and beyond, because you never know who you will be a blessing to. So here's the question. Are there camels to be watered at your home, at your job, at your church, in your neighborhood? So let me encourage you today. Get out there and water some camels and do it for the glory of God. Thanks for joining in. I hope this has been a blessing to you. If it has, share it with a friend, give some positive feedback on your podcast app. Lord bless. We'll see you next time.